0: In the first chapter of her book, The Awakened Brain, The New Science of Spirituality and Our Quest for an Inspired Life, Dr. Lisa Miller tells the story of an experience that set the trajectory of her professional interests and career. She had just finished her doctoral work at the University of Pennsylvania, and she was doing her internship at a psychiatric uh, inpatient unit in Manhattan. And the patients there were receiving the standard care available in such facilities, large and small group psychotherapy each week, uh, daily check-ins with their doctors, whatever medications were deemed appropriate for their diagnoses. And before I go uh, any further with this story, I want to say that psychotherapy and medication are very important tools in addressing the very serious issue of mental health. Whenever someone comes to a pastor and is struggling with issues of depression or anxiety or uh, any other mental illness, we are trained always to refer them to mental health professionals. Pastors can counsel with regard to spiritual health, uh, but not mental health. Like many, pastors, I've had a, like many pastors, I've had a fair amount of therapy myself. In fact, uh, regular visits with a mental health professional were a required aspect of internship year during seminary, and I always encourage those uh, struggling with mental health issues to get the professional help they need. Having said all that, Dr. Miller's work on the psychiatric unit led her to wonder what else could be done to help her patients, and one particular experience began to open her to new possibilities. When one day, one of her patients asked, what's being done for Yom Kippur? Several of the patients uh, at this particular unit were Jewish, uh, and Yom Kippur, which is the the Day of Atonement, which is the holiest day in Judaism, was approaching. And when her patient asked her about Yom Kippur, it dawned on Dr. Miller, number one, that faith was rarely spoken of on the unit. Uh, Number two, that she hadn't even realized that this particular patient of hers was, like her, Jewish. And three, that in fact there were no plans for recognizing their holiest day. There's a a clinical term for a widespread malady. It's called dysthymia. And it means uh, disillusionment or emptiness, this uh, low-grade feeling that life is unfulfilling. Dysthymia is rampant in society, and Dr. Miller says that uh, every day in the inpatient psychiatric unit to which she had been assigned, she saw severe manifestations of this widespread malady. She saw, quote, alienation, isolation, futility, darkness. And she began to wonder if maybe the practice of faith uh, for those who are faithful Uh, could assist the therapy and medications that were the focus of standard treatment in this facility. And so she arranged for an informal Yom Kippur observance in which these patients could share the prayers and the readings and the reflections and the theology of their faith heritage. And she immediately noticed that this small ad hoc gathering created a sense of Uh, intimacy and community that she had not seen in their other therapeutic treatment settings. In Dr. Miller's words, and this is from the book, the service had loosened the hold of a prison. It wasn't just that they appeared uplifted by the ceremony, it was that each person was more connected and restored. The ceremony seemed to have brought light into each person's darkest corner. She goes on, I had no idea why or how, no reason to trust that it would last, but something happened that wasn't happening through the primary medical interventions of medication and psychotherapy. And thus began her quarter of a century journey that culminated in the publication of her most recent book, the one that we're in conversation with in this sermon series, which reports uh, the scientific proof that our brains are wired for a connection with God, a connection that, if nurtured, uh, has the power to improve our mental health, a connection that is perhaps best nurtured in the context of faith communities. That's our subject for today. This is week two of our three-week sermon series called Awakening, inspired by Dr. Miller's work. As we talked about last week, the latest brain research reveals something that that people of faith intuitively know, that every human being has a a deep spiritual need to connect with God. And genetic research and MRI technology and epidemiology and peer-reviewed longitudinal, uh, long-term studies all support this finding that the human brain has a capacity for spirituality and that when that part of the brain is engaged, spirituality correlates to better mental health, lower levels of depression and addiction, and greater resilience in the face of life stresses. And as we discussed last week, whatever whatever religious tradition we practice, it's actually personal devotion to God that matters most. We talked last week about how how we awaken our attention to God. This week we're talking about where to awaken our attention to God. And to, to help us out, we're going to be reading from the Old Testament lectionary reading for today, the recommended text. It's Isaiah chapter 9. I'll read the first three verses now, and we'll come back and read that last verse uh, a little bit later. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the prophet Isaiah. But there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish, In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who have lived in a a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. God. So the historical setting of this text from Isaiah is the coronation of a Judean king, probably Hezekiah in his place and time, which was Judah in the late eighth century BC, Hezekiah's job would have been to protect God's people from the Assyrian empire uh, who were threatening the divided kingdom originally built by King David. Historically speaking, the people who walked in darkness would have been God's faithful who were living under Assyrian oppression in the, the regions north of Jerusalem that they had already conquered, and the great light would have been the king's deliverance of those in darkness from the hands of the Assyrians. That's the historical context, um, and the historical context matters. It's important to, to know the original meaning of this text to its original intended audience. That's always where we begin. But of course, we don't don't think of the Bible as a history book. That's not what it means to us. Instead, it is uh, sacred scripture. And what that means is that the Holy Spirit inspires each new generation to see these ancient texts uh, and find in them a word for today after the incarnation, ministry, death, and resurrection of Christ to the earliest theologians of the church. This was almost eight centuries after these verses from Isaiah were written. They began to see in Isaiah's writing a prophecy for what God would do someday in Jesus. The earliest Christians uh, for whom these ancient texts, what we call the Old Testament, uh, they were the only Bible for the earliest church until the New Testament was written. And they found in these verses a a foretelling of what God would do in Jesus. So that Luke's gospel, for example, in the verses immediately preceding Christ's birth, would prophesy, by the tender mercy of our God, that dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And then later, After Jesus was born, when the baby was presented in the temple, the Holy Spirit would inspire a man named Simeon to call the Christ child a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So that for the earliest church writing what we know as the New Testament, Jesus was and will always be the light of the world. Almost 2000 years later, as 21st century Christians, we can recognize that Isaiah was probably talking about a king named Hezekiah delivering his people from the Assyrians, that's important. But for us, we can interpret this verse to be about a king named Jesus who delivers all of us. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And for each of us, uh, the metaphor of darkness has different meanings. One aspect of the awakened brain that I appreciate uh, is that Lisa Miller is vulnerable enough to tell the story of her brain research through the lens of her own struggle with infertility. And I know that, that some here have surely walked in that darkness. But the truth is, we all struggle with something. Uh, the types of darkness that we find ourselves in changes throughout our lives. Depending on where we are in our life stories, we may face health challenges, or we may face relationship challenges, or we may face financial challenges or or grief at the death of someone we love. The particular focus of Lisa Miller's work, of course, is mental health challenges. Remember her observation of that informal Yom Kippur service, or rather, her observation of the effects of that informal Yom Kippur service. The ceremony seemed to have brought light into each person's darkest corner. Because here's the thing about darkness. (laughs) Darkness is not nearly as scary when you're with somebody. And it's even better when a friend is able to to bring you the light. I think the reason that Yom Kippur service was so important to those patients in Dr. Miller's psychiatric unit uh, was that it, it connected them with a shared experience of the divine Now, yes, for sure, the readings and the prayers and the reflections and the theology of their faith heritage were indeed ways for each individual to practice their personal devotion to God. We talked about that last week when we talked about awakening our attention to God. But it also connected them to each other during a a period of, of deep darkness in their lives. In Dr. Miller's words, the service had loosened the hold of a prison, it wasn't just that they were uplifted by the ceremony, it's that each person was more connected and, more, and restored. Because in the, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, faith is meant to be lived in community and for Christians specifically, it's never, it's never been about just me, Jesus, and my Bible. That's not, that's not what faith is in its entirety. It's meant for all of us in community. All right, let's finish this last little verse. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Verse four, for the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. Now that sets us historical context, right? But there's a metaphorical one for us as well. Each of us has a burden. Each of us has an oppressor of one kind or another over the course of our lives, a darkness that settles in. God has the power to break that. There's, a, there's an old story about three women uh, who show up at the pearly gates at the same time. Uh, they have lived a long, long faithful life. And so uh, they, they show up at the pearly gates, they meet St. Peter. They're all from different Christian traditions. And Peter surprises them with this unique blessing uh, through a miracle of grace. He says that they're gonna be allowed to, to bring with them to heaven the, the most treasured spiritual possession they have. And so uh, one of the women was a Roman Catholic. She said, you know, I would love to have my, my rosary beads. And suddenly there appeared in her hand her rosary that she had had all her life. And she was delighted because she had prayed with those beads thousands and thousands of times over long decades of a faithful life. And now they would be with her in eternity. One of the women was a Baptist. I'll give you one guess what she wanted to bring. She said, I want my Bible. And suddenly it appeared in her hands and it was exactly as you would think it would be. It was worn and it was dog eared and it was highlighted and it was written in, it was all the cover was all faded and and cracked. The third woman was a Methodist and she said, Well, I have to bring my green bean casserole. I'm sure there's a potluck here somewhere. I don't know how much food has been brought to our house over the years uh, by fellow church members over the past 20 plus years, but it's a lot. (laughs) When we had Max, that was before I was ordained. Uh, When we had Sam, when Whitney's father died, when Max got COVID early in the pandemic, it was really scary. When Sam got COVID later in the pandemic, seriously, it's like like food is our Methodist love language. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? And I don't know how many meals we've had in various fellowship halls in churches over the past 20 years in various settings for a wide variety of occasions, but it's a lot, and, and I love it. I love it because it's not about the food. <laughs> not really. It's about, it's about the connection. It's about fellowship and caring. It's about uh, showing one another support in this very real, very tangible very practical way and much of the time when someone has brought food to our home from church not always but very often it's been members of our Sunday school classes because for most of us especially in a large church like this one uh, those small groups that we become part of end up being our closest connection to the church which means that they end up being the ones who uh, come to us most often when we're in the dark bringing the light of Christ when we need it. I think back to the beginnings of the Methodist movement, back to when um, small groups were formed. That was Wesley's passion. That was the foundation of the movement back then. These were groups that met weekly to grow in their faith together and to challenge each other to grow in their faith together and to support each other along the way. In the modern church, uh, that small group connection can come in a variety of ways, truly. Now, traditionally, it's through Sunday school classes. If you're part of a Sunday school class, you know that. But it can also be through uh, Bible studies or service groups or other fellowship groups. And here's my encouragement always to someone who is just beginning to explore a church or uh, just joining a church, especially a church the size of ours, if you don't have one of these groups for your own journey, whether you're in person or online, I really encourage you to reach out to Reagan and, and get one. <laughs> She's R-A-E-G-A-N at cumc.com. Reach out to her or you can stop by the Get Connected table after church. And our promise is that, you know, if you're looking for a, a Sunday school class or a small group and there's not one that really fits, um, well, we can start one. <laughs> we start new stuff all the time. We love to do that. The other thing that I encourage folks to uh, consider, if you have a child or a youth in your life, whether you're a parent or a grandparent, or uncle, aunt, whatever, um, is to get them into children's and youth ministries. We have a place for them. Or youth choir, or all of the above. Because all of our kids, and the research is really clear about this, all of our kids need a healthy, supportive place of connection as they grow in their faith while finding a community of friends for their faith journey. Meredith McBride or Kinsey Erickson, they're eager to get your kids connected. And that's because awakening our connection with others. In these relationships with the ones that we share our faith journeys with, that is a, an essential component of our spiritual and mental health. And we have always believed this in the church and we've always preached and taught this in the church. What I love about Lisa Miller's work is that science is confirming that for us as well. To borrow Isaiah's metaphors, we all have burdens to bear and darkness descends upon each of us at different times in our lives. Reflecting on the importance of spiritual connection, Lisa Miller makes an essential point. She says awakened relationships transform and heal. They have the power to bring light into the darkest corners of our lives. Thanks be to God for the connection we find here in our family of faith. Amen.